these girls in my year group were going around and like lifting up that boy's trousers. Like mm. I didn't know at the time, but like I just remember like they came up to me, it's like, oh like stand there for a second and like she lifted up my trousers and like bro, I, I didn't cream my legs in it, like, but I didn't know I <laughs> Before that day, yeah, I didn't know I needed to. Yo, the way yeah. they the way they oh embarrassed me. Yeah. Wait, wait, I swear to you, yeah, I've never left my house yet since that day oh without creaming my legs. It traumatized me. You know what? I was thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm going to collapse on the train today and they need to rip open my trousers to get to my leg. And if they see my dry socks, I'd rather you just finish me there. That's my mindset ever since that day. Oh my so it's gosh. It's crazy. That's like, Larry. Right, guys, wait, 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 hold up. So we looked at the analytics and apparently 25% of you who watch this podcast are not subscribed. Now that doesn't make sense because if you're watching this podcast, then you clearly like it and you clearly want more. So the best way to get more is to subscribe. And guess what? They even do another thing, subscribe. Hit that little bell button and put the notifications on. So when we post this exquisite content, right, you'll get it directly in your notifications. So subscribe right now. Thank you. I'm excited, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Goodman Factory. It's been a while. It's been a long while. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this, it's a good day. We have the Goodman Factory episode back. Uh, yep. Pleased to be able to welcome Goodman Rizzy onto the episode today. Yes. We've got Goodman Quest as well. And we've also got Goodman Demeji, who's been missing for a while. Been a while, but I'm back, baby. Missing That's a while. Back. Thank you, brothers. No way, still. So, just to go straight into it, um, as we know, it's November. Um, it is Men's Health Month. I think Rizzy corrected me in the beginning there, actually, which was kind of identifying that actually it's not Men's Mental Health Month, but it's Men's Health generally. So, you know, when we talk about men's health, we're talking about our physical health, our mental health, and maybe other aspects of life that actually contribute to our positive well-being in the first place and so i think a focus on this episode generally speaking is you know um, what are the things that are affecting men's physical and their mental health um and i guess more specifically what has our upbringing our surrounding um our environment you know what are those things um doing to contribute to our mental health negatively and positively so i guess before we even get started how are you guys doing um, I'm not going to say great because I feel like that would be a lie. Um, I'm doing okay, you know, getting by day to day. Um, I'm able to, I guess, realise when my mind isn't as best as it could be. Um, I don't try and fool myself. If I'm not feeling great, I'll accept it and I'll try my best to let those around me know that I'm not feeling great because obviously if I'm feeling a certain way, it's going to rub off on everyone else. And um, what I'm starting to learn as well is that, you know, there's no point if I'm in a bad mood, I'm start I start, um, I start what's it called, um, being passive aggressive in like just the smallest of things, um, not actually like addressing what my problem is, and leaving people guessing. I know it's not a nice place to be when you're just guessing. How's this person feeling? What have I done wrong? How can I make how can I make them feel better? Why do uh, you think you get like that? You know, like just not communicating 
Nah, bro, the one thing I, I know for a fact is is my upbringing, man. Right. Um, Explain that further. So coming from a Nigerian household, feelings is something you, you don't show. It's not something you um, you parade around a place. You maintain a level mind or you present yourself as someone who is um, who has got it together. You never let no one see you cry. You don't complain about anything. I remember when I was a kid, I used to play football. And um, whenever I got injured, I'd come back home, I'd be limping, I'd tell my mum or whatever. And I remember one time, it's this one time my dad was like, son, you're playing football, you're a man. You don't cry. If you get injured, you pick yourself up and you keep going. You don't complain to your mum. And that always stuck with me. Mm. And I remember in the time as well, the team that I was in, so I... To let you guys know, I I lived in Essex most of my life, so the team that I was in, I was like probably the only black guy there, and I'd face racial abuse, mostly verbal, and there was no one I could speak to. Coach didn't understand, teammates didn't understand, and I couldn't complain to my parents because they didn't want me to complain. My dad wouldn't accept it, so I had to hold a lot of that stuff to myself. And growing up, um, that mentality stuck with me. Stuck with me. Woo, damn. Wait, so when, when you was younger, and could, did you feel comfortable speaking to your friends about what you went through? Did you see them as an option to like, you know, support you or help you or understand? No, nah, I didn't have that outlet because um, my football friends were separate f- to my school friends. Right. The, the two never mixed. Um, yeah, so whatever I went through in football would never cross over into school. I just dealt with it there and then wait for the weekend to be over, go back to school where I can mingle with people who look like me again. Um, but yeah, it never really stopped. Even like through to like work and adult life, I um, just got on with it. Just got on with it, man. And it, it affects my relationship now because I don't um, express how I feel enough. That leaves my partner, guess, partner guessing. I am like... Oh, the word keeps ex- escaping me. Um, it'll come back to me another time. But uh, communication is key. And without communication, you've got no outlet. No one can understand how you're feeling. You feel like you're by yourself. You might feel angry for no reason. It's actually a vicious circle because mm. I don't want my kid to be like that. You know what I mean? I want my kid to be able to speak to me when he when he doesn't feel great. I want him to know that he can speak to his mum as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you less of a man. Mm. I think what makes you less of a man is if you feel like your your emotions make you weak. I think that's the biggest L. Because no one's ever gonna understand you if you don't if you don't if you don't show a bit of vulnerability. Like holding his guard up, it it sets you up, man. Not in a in a in the best way either. Like it's an L. And like I look at my dad, and he's the same. He would never show any emotions and stuff, and he he's kind of proud of it. But I've seen like how it's created his downfall, man. Mm. And I don't want to be like that. Mm. I want to be open with people that I love. I want people to feel comfortable speaking to me. And yeah, I'll, like I feel like yeah. Someone else take go, yeah, man. Yeah, no, I fully get you. Yeah, no, that's good to be honest to you. I, I think it's quite um, it's it's quite interesting that 
the first thing you were told or one of the first few things you were told when you were growing up is that you know like be a man like you get up and you get on with it like yeah. you know like not not even specifically don't cry but it's kind of like just get on with it like yeah what you're soaking about um do you guys think there's a place for that when it comes to coaching raising your boys um is there a place for it is there a place for the notion of come on get on with it i think no Mm. i don't i don't think there's a place for just get on with it i think there's a place for get on with it yeah but i think getting on with it needs to sit in the right position in the in the grand scheme of processing and working through whatever you're dealing with at some point you have to get on with it Mm. and i think that's that's absolutely fine but if you're told to get on with it without understanding first of all like this is a real thing yes we acknowledge it's a real thing two it's something that needs to be processed yes we're here to support you to process it three a resolution needs to be arrived at and once you have that resolution get on with resolving yeah I think with with in that type of frame, absolutely get on with it has a place. But if it's just get on with it, it's like we've missed the first three steps. <laughs> like how? What am I just getting pretend on? It, pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, right? just exactly. skipping right over it. Exactly. So yeah. the question is like, what am I getting on? What am I getting on with? I'm getting on with not dealing with this well and trying to fill the gap with action. Mm. So in my in my mind, there's no place for just get on with it, but there is definitely a place for get on with it after you follow a process and get to a point where there is something to get on with. Mm. And it's, you see what you're getting on with. You see what you're working on. You see what, even if it's a thing of, oh, you're a man, you need to be strong. How do I, as a young man, how do I even identify what my weakness truly is for me to even mm. develop that strength mm. if you're just telling me to just do the strength? Mm-hmm. I think that's why you see a lot of men basing their strengths around action or activity or... Physical. Yeah, physical activity. stuff. Yeah, yeah, intensity, power, things that like mm. you, you see and you attribute to strength without really understanding whether there's strength there or not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's because we're trying to fill this gap without anyone like providing the guidance of what does the gap look like? Mm. How do you measure how big the gap is? Is it a bridge? Do I just need to jump over it? Mm. Without all that stuff, you're just doing actions. Bravado. Yeah. Bravado, perfect word. Yeah. It's just take the whole paragraph. The word is bravado. Do you, know yeah. do you know why I think that happens though? I think... Um, I think I think men teach and say that to their boys because they themselves don't have the tools that you just mentioned. Mm. Like, you know, a man that hasn't gone through the same experience of being sat down and, you know, had the opportunity to talk through his experience, um, what it means to get on with it, whether that's mental strength, whether that's physical strength, you know, even just kind of being able to be vulnerable. And I think it's key, like, to be able to do that in the presence of a man or with Mm. another man. I think there are so many males out there that haven't had that real specific experience. Like, I know I definitely didn't have that. And you just mentioned, no, you know, Mm. I don't think your dad gave you a framework. He just told you, listen, this is football. You get up, you get on with it. You know, there was no safety in it after that. There was no, okay, this is what, this is what happens. If it doesn't work, come back here. We'll talk about another process. Mm. Just kind of left to your own devices um, to figure it out. And and like you said, then you've got guys that they feel like the only way to be able to show that they're strong is through the physical aggression, violence, the gym, everything that's kind of associated to the physical, like and being a masculine, like man of men, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think one of the problems is you run a risk of also um like from a young age, just disregarding your emotions. So like when you're an adult now, you're not even used to 
you're not used to processing your emotions or like just understanding. You just jump straight to whatever makes you feel like a man. Mm. Yeah, emotional regulation. Yeah. yeah, it's key. Damn. I think these things regulation. these things are bad for like a relationship as well. Yeah, it's detrimental, you bro. A partner with a you know feminine woman, you know, the, there will be problems. They're one hundred percent simple I, things I, like I communication. Can you can't do. I can confirm, bro. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> from experience. So this yeah. is what I'm, I'm saying this, but yeah, I can only imagine. You know, like yeah, you know. I can confirm hundred percent. Yeah, right. I think I think about like when. Um, like when when um when my best mate passed away, and like we lost two other friends in the same accident, mm. so like three of them rest passed. In peace. Yeah, yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace, um, man. Three of them passed away in the same accident, and um, I remember. I think I've said this before in a previous episode, but yeah, I remember. Yeah, the the reaction I got from a certain person at home, it really did shape pretty much like my outlook on how to do with my emotions for at least the next five to 10 years. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is I then did, you know, I had no choice but to adopt the life happens. You better get on with it. Um, but that in some ways was detrimental because I had no framework to work around, you know? So when traumatic issues came along, I figured my way through. Sometimes it was through violence because that's the only outlet that I was, you know, privy to it's the only one that i knew it's the only one i had seen mm. you know from other males around me um and 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 so when i got into like my relationship that was one of the first things i think i i, I struggled with I, I won't say i struggle with it as much now but i still struggle with that you know mm. because i can't open up about things that i've been through in the past with my partner um one because i i, I don't think she will understand to a degree in the way that maybe another one of my guys would because of the context of where we yeah, grew up and stuff like that um but then also i think it's just like i know what will happen if i become vulnerable and speak about or open up about certain situations mm. as well so it just kind of proves that i'm actually what, still not completely ready what would happen yeah. i think i would be I, th I just don't think i'm prepared to be that vulnerable yet if that mm. makes sense you know what, what you are you are you afraid of anything I think I'm a. I, do you do you just feel like you're you're holding yourself back? Am I like you hold yourself back. What is it? Uh, I'm or definitely it? holding myself back. Why I'm doing it, I can't. I I don't know if it's because I'm afraid to be vulnerable, which I'm not really not with my wife, hmm. but I'm afraid to go back to that the emotions from that particular period of time. Yeah, because it will unearth emotions, feelings around people. You know, um, and especially when it comes to like bereavement as well and grief, um, I'm no different from anybody. You know, many people have lost people, and so I think it's a common thing to understand that when when you lose someone or people, you never deal with it. You mm. find a cupboard, a drawer somewhere, you lock away those emotions, but they're never really gone forever. You can't yeah. throw away that kind of experience, and so I think. Um, it feels like I've got not skeletons, but I've got things that like, but yeah, it's in the yeah. closet. You know, when it comes up again, yeah, like you know what I've realized. It's like it's it's we're programmed to be this way. You know, like you said, you don't know the reason why. You know, you stay. You you know, you you don't want to talk about it mm. with your with your partner, or you just don't want to um, revive those emotions of how you felt in the past. Why? But why are we so afraid of? 
It's so the hard, man. The emotional side. It's so hard. Like, I, it, why it, we why we so, so afraid to um, revisit? You know, what we see as negative emotions. Are they even negative emotions? I think it's it's there's a thing around the fear of the familiar unknown. So you can recognize mm. part parts of it from your past, mm. but there is a there's a thing around. I guess the question in most of our minds that we don't know is the question is, do I believe I'm really a different person now? So do I believe that I have different attributes, different um, a different skill set, so I would be able to deal with those emotions differently now? Mm. And most of us are in that space of like, we're not sure 100% that we are. We're not sure 100% that we have that different skill set. So we don't want to disturb it just in case we're not. Mm. So I think it's it's in that thing of, of that's like that's the linchpin that's the thing to figure out like how do i know if i am able to deal with this thing and if i if i never feel like i'm able to deal with it i don't want to deal with it and that, i think that's a very natural thing of like i'm doing other things i'm a busy but i have stuff going on if i'm gonna open this box i would like to feel a degree of confidence mm-hmm. that i can Safety. deal with what's in this box mm. i think there's a thing around you mentioned something and it made me think something instantly like you'd never get over anything you experience. Like nothing you experience goes away. Everything you experience is in a drawer somewhere. So there's a thing around different experiences hold different weight. Yes. But if we understand that all of our experiences are always a part of us, some of them we revisit very regularly. Mm -hmm. Some of them we, we are, we stay in this kind of state of questioning whether we can revisit them or not. And I think it's that thing of what is, what is the skill set I would need to actually open this up? Mm. So what is, and I think that's where it's, a, it's different to vulnerability because it's not, not being able to be vulnerable sometimes. Mm. It's this particular thing. And do I have the specific skill set for this thing? Because other stuff you're going to be, is like, it's not going to be easy, but you'll be more mm. readily available to the idea of vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But with some things, it just feels like, the moment you think about it, you well up and just like leave it. Mm-hmm. You know, do you know what I think? I think That's a lot of people struggle it. to see the benefits of you know opening yourself up to vulnerability. Mm. You know, like what's what's the gain? You know, yeah. um, I spoke to a friend of mine, and in response to my video, he said he said that um, you know one reason why he struggles to bring himself to that vulnerable state is because he feels like whoever he's going to open up to or speak to. Um, will use that against him that it's happened to him in the past so he's, he's carrying a bit of trauma in the sense that you know someone's obviously done him dirty in the past and mm. used what he said to um used him opening up a- against him yeah. and now he's just at a point where it's like i'm never doing that again mm. now that's sad but at the same time i understand why he's you know come to that conclusion of mm. i'm never opening up again but how sad is that to live a life of just not being able to you know, talk about the things you go through in silence. Yes. I feel, you know, I feel like our true selves, you know, is who we are when we're alone, you know, just with nobody around, you know, everything you feel, everything you, you know, the person you are behind closed doors, but no one's around, you're just by yourself. That's yourself. And if these are the things you that you run through your mind and you're using life, like busy and work to distract yourself, then mm. what are you, you're not fixing anything. You're just, carrying trauma and pain i i i think i think men in particular have i don't think men are the only ones that have that issue but i think men have a real big issue with that and i think that's that's part of the reason why i think male suicide is so it's so high 
you know, you makes know, sense. So, so you know what? It's, it's only now that I've realized why suicide rates mm-hmm. the suicide rate for males is high because a, a lot of the times I hear that you know a lot of men are killing themselves the suicide. But I've never actually. Now I've always wondered why, and I don't. I can't come to the conclusion. Oh, is it because men don't express themselves? But why? And that makes sense because yeah. you get to a point where it's like I can't even open up to anyone. Like, mm. I'm just carrying all this pain by myself. And bear in mind, it's not about being lonely. You might feel lonely mm. in those moments. Um, like I've been there. Like you might feel lonely. Mm. Um, but I've, I've, I've tried to take my life with my my wife, but my my she was my girlfriend at the time mm. in, in the next room. Mm. You know, and it's not that she's never there for me. But there was just again, I could I couldn't explain it to you, like you know, and I've had two two situations like that, you know, like one when I was a teen, and in both cases, I'm not I'm not alone. Like I have my family in the house with me, or I had my my partner in the other room, and what, it was just too much. What did you make an attempt to speak to your family or your partner at the time? No, my my no my partner um, my partner at the time would have been aware of like the stress I was going through the circumstance. I think I was training to be a teacher at the time, but I was going through some crazy health um, complications. You know, I had like a stomach ulcer. I was bleeding internally. Um, I was still struggling with um, chronic insomnia. My health was just deteriorating. Mm. And then whilst that was happening, I'm not, I'm not sleeping. Yeah. And then I'm training to be a teacher or something at the time I didn't even really want to do. Um, so, so my wife, you know, my girlfriend at the time, like she, she knew about all of that, but I felt, I felt alone in my head. I actually remember thinking specifically, like, why did you I know that? she loves me, but she would never understand like what I'm going mm. through. Why? Right now. Why? Because, because in a way, she, she, she wouldn't. She wouldn't understand what I'm going through. That I, I remember, I remember even trying to rationalize at the time. I remember lying there, staring in the sky, mm. like, and she's laying next to me. And I'm laying there because I'm not sleeping. This mm. is like maybe the second, third night in a row now I'm not sleeping. And so obviously that in itself would have played a part in why I was just in a delirious mood at the time. But I remember laying there and, and that that brought me, that made me even more upset. Like that made me well up even more because I kept thinking to myself, like, it's not that I'm not loved by other people. It's not that I don't have people that are there, but they can't come into my body. They can't get into my mind. They will never understand what it is that I'm going through. Um, and I guess for myself, maybe not, I won't say as a guy, but for myself, there was always kind of maybe a layer of stuff that I never really ever gave over to her mm. realistically. Do you think that's the main reason why? Maybe, because I understand. guess that's the vulnerability of like being able to, but there was also, an, there was also an aspect of it of that I'm going through something physically right. in that no matter who I speak to, you won't understand, you know, you know, there was, it felt at the time there's nothing, there's no therapy I could have done. There's no one I could have spoken to. There's no events I could have done during the day that would have stopped me from going through what I was going through yeah. in terms of a physical point of like, you know, from a physical point of view. But um, from that angle, I totally understand like what you mean. Because, you know, as you know, I've got sickle cell. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times when I'm speaking to people about what I go through, you know, I always know that you never really know because mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're not experiencing what I experience. So I totally understand. Mm. Like, yeah. Like the reason why I keep asking why is because, you know, a lot of the times I feel like we just make up our minds that someone would never, yeah, a lot of the times we make up our minds that someone would never understand, you know, what we're going through mm. and then we just think okay there's no point opening up and as you said there's layers that you didn't you know 
what, what, what was it you said again? There's layers you did. I just felt that. I think there was, yeah. I that you held back. Yeah, yeah. So when you're not keeping it 100 with someone, you know they can't help you because they don't understand 100% of what's, what you're going through. Yeah. You're so sometimes even, you're it's, it's allowing a, them to it's a little bit, fully. You can, you can be honest and say it's self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not giving 100. So how do you expect the person to support you or understand you? What do you think? It's hard because like, I know, I feel it in myself as well. Sometimes I'll just make an assumption and be like, you know what? You're not going to understand what I'm really going through. There's no point in me, tell, me telling you the full story. And that will cause problems because out of nowhere, or it could be a different um, situation and you're kind of acting out of line. It's probably from the situation you should have explained before, but it's rolled over into something else. And um, yeah, your people, people around are confused. Like my partner... Like, God bless her. Like, she is a champion because she puts up with so much for me, man. Like, my lack of communication is is such an issue. And, like, as as I spend more time with her, I realise that even within my family as well, well, that's where the lack of commu- communication stemmed from. Um, I think over the years, me and my brothers and my family, we've got, kind of gotten closer and stuff. But back in the day, communication was minimal, Mm. you're only speaking when you need to be when you need to say something I don't remember many times like even my like my dad like small chat here and there hey son how you doing how, how's school how's football you know you've been treated well um, do you feel like just little stuff like just make you feel like people care and are willing to understand you when you're an adult you don't really get that much, as much so it's survival mode mm. you're not really dependent on people to ask you how you are you just I'm going to be strong no matter what. Whatever happens, I'm just going to keep going. You, It's like you just survive a mode all the time. You never really give anyone a chance to understand you. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> we've not been taught that. No. Like, we've never been shown that, like how to, you know, express yourself and, you know, you kind of, why do we feel so like, like we, you know, no one's going to like reach out and ask you how you feel. Like, you know, you're not used to that growing up. Yeah, and it's it's, it's scary, man. Like, I think as an adult, it's, it's scary because it becomes uncharted territory. Um, I think even opening up to people, it becomes scary. I think it's fear. Fear holds us back from actually saying, you know what, this is who I am, who I'm, what I'm going through. Um, I need your help. It's scary. It is. Yeah. Like we've we've said, some people use that against you. Yeah. That's so sad, man. That is. When my friend said that, I had nothing to say to him. Like, he said that, and I, and straight away I got it. I was like, so this is why people don't open up. Yeah. You know, I found strength in, like, opening up and, like, and revealing the parts of myself that I don't, you know, mm. really expose to the world. And, you know, there's been, like, there's, I've, I feel like I've got a great support system. I've realised I've got an, uh, an amazing support system. I've got people that care for me. You know, and that's just by me putting in the work of, you know, putting things out there, Mm. you know, things that I was once uncomfortable with putting out there, you know, being transparent about how I feel or what I'm going through or, you know, what I've been dealing with. And yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it pays, Mm. it pays. I do think, I do think though, there's a, there's a, there's, um, there's a pressure that exists within our world, um, that almost sometimes kind of counteracts or contradicts the notion that, that you know that we can open up and be vulnerable you know like mm. because um 
And the reason why I say that is because like many of us have been taught and conditioned to just get on with things, mm. you know. Um and sometimes I don't think that's done in malicious I don't think it's done maliciously. I yeah. think there is like f- for me, I appreciate that a man's role in society, in his home, in his home, in his workplace, whatever it is, um, there is a level of responsibility. Like I think we can be in agreement in that. Like yeah, society 100%. puts us in a particular um, position. You mm. know, you you grow up in a household, and if you're the eldest boy, um, by default, you are the man of the house when the father is absent. Mm. You know, very rarely have you ever heard your sister be referred to as the man of the house when the father figure is not there you know so it's those kind of things you know um and in every aspect of society you think about the pastors of church you know like in 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 key positions yeah true throughout society men hold a position where they are the leader you know and even from a religious point of view like um the bible in itself is quite explicit in in mentioning that you know the 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 husband the man is the head of the home you know so when you think about life, like we're told we're conditioned, whether it's done negatively or positively, that we have a position in life that's very, very important. And I think when it comes down to it, a lot of men crumble under that pressure um, because they don't have the tools, like you said, to be able to be vulnerable when you're weak because you can be a leader and still be weak. You can be a leader and still, and when I say weak, as in you can have weak moments. You know, you can be, um, you can be a husband, you can be the man of your house and have moments where you're vulnerable. You know, you're not able to step up to the plate for that particular thing. But I don't feel that grace is given enough or we or men feel that grace isn't given enough because we live in a society where you're judged based on pretty much your output, your strength, what you can deliver, what you, can deliver, mm. you know. And, men, and women contribute to that, I'm sorry. You know, like I, I think women contribute to that in that some of the things that they spew, it's not just our fathers that have told us stuff. Women have a part to play in their conditioning of making men feel like they are inadequate mm. if they don't fit a tick list. That was, I want to say socially created. Many things are socially, socially created, but it's too rigid, this list of what a man should be and what a man should do. But the argument is that that list was created by a man. So, it's was like, it? I don't. I don't know. So my, but my, my thing is, that, so I, I kind of, I view existence on two planes. There's the subjective and the objective, and I think I might have said this before, but the subjective are things that the objectives are things that are outside of your subjective control. So you don't necessarily have as much control, or say there might be preconceived notions that society has subscribed to, but then. I always divide it into the subjective and the objective. And I think most of us haven't been given this. Like we spend most of our time in the objective. I'm supposed to be this. Therefore, I must do these things and fall into this box. But, and I think, and like, there's nothing you can do. You exist in a subjective world. Like everything you experience is subject to your personal experience. Even if the roles are objectively written by this whole invisible hand Mm. or this, this, this man that decided these rules Mm. long ago. So I think there's a thing around most people find distress when they try to resolve the difference between the two. So if you spend a lot of your time in the objective world of men are this and you don't pay enough attention to the subjective nature of your personal experience, mm. you the result is distress. Mm. And I think there's there's that to and fro. And people contribute to like women contribute to that, men contribute to that. 
that objective kind of notion, which really isn't objective, and that's the that's the the secret is understanding. So a lot of things been said. One of the things I've I've learned, and it was actually it was reiterated to me. Um, <laughs> it's such a weird thing, but I was talking to a, a Buddhist monk earlier today, mm-hmm. and he brought over a book for me um, called The Art of Happiness, and we were, we were just having a two and fro. We were talking, and he was talking about how meditation really is the art of letting go so letting go of preconceptions letting go of expectations letting go of the rules you think govern things Mm. we started talking about vulnerability Mm. and it was like letting go of the idea that you need to be vulnerable to someone else do you know what it feels like to be vulnerable to yourself first Mm. because when you can do that then you will better understand how to expect vulnerability to be accepted by other people because if you try to be vulnerable to yourself there are going to be things you can't accept. What, is, what does that look like? Being vulnerable to yourself. So yeah. in, in my personal practice, it's being absolutely honest with everything right. I can and cannot do, with with this, the subjective nature of everything I'm dealing with, even if it's just to be like, oh, that's too much for me to really get into. Because then I have a better of un- better understanding if it's too much for me, for someone else to hear. I already understand this is a heavy thing for me anyway. Mm. So there's a bit of, there's, I can provide grace to other people if they can't take that on right now. But I also have a better understanding of once I start to unload this heavy thing, I have a better way to to draw the map to lead someone else to understand it too. But if I don't do that, then I'm existing in this objective world of you should understand me. I'm being vulnerable to you. But I don't understand the own, the subjectivity of my own vulnerability enough to draw you a clear enough map there mm. yeah. so what yeah. exactly am i <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. what exactly am That's i expecting still. you to understand mm-hmm. it, i feel like there's sometimes where like we expect people to to understand our own vulnerabilities more than we do because mm. we need that mm. we don't we have a missing piece that's what we're trying to be vulnerable so it can it's a bit foggy and it can be cleared up but we don't know how to use the windscreen wipers so how can how can I even point them out to you? I need you to help me clear it up. I don't know how to direct you mm. to do that. Yeah. But I'm just hoping you will. I feel like there's that's an interesting bit where there are some co- like preconceptions, there's some things that have been passed down that we need to learn how to let go of mm. so that we can truly be honest with ourselves, so that we can truly be honest when we're being vulnerable and give people a chance. Because I think that's one thing that I notice is it kind of ties in with the whole like Pressure applied by by women, but also the the male um, suicide rate thing. Because for a long time, I I made the connection. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pressure. My personal experiences, blah blah blah. But then I I took a step back and I was like, how many of us actually know how to do X, Y, and Z to let people in? And also, how many of us are stubborn? Like I'm very stubborn. If you are not the type of person that will give me the time of day, I don't need to talk to you. Mm. Like, it's as simple as that. And it's not even a thing. You can be upset, but I then understand you're upset is because you want access to me, not mm. because you want to be useful to my life. That's okay. Be upset. But I'm I'm really stubborn with that to the point where there is no one in my circle that that you, you just don't get my time like that. The only, literally, the only person that we, we struggle with that is my mum. And that's because and I've told her, like, if you weren't my mum, we wouldn't be friends. Like <laughs> I wouldn't spend time with you. Mm. And she's upset with that. She wants me to be friendly with her. She doesn't want to do the work for us to be friends. Mm. So we're working on that. But everyone else is like, if you're not, if you're not in the type of place, like I'm very stubborn with that. My mental health, B 
being in a good place will result in me being great to everyone around me and be, me being able to support everyone else to be the best that they can be. So I have to be, I have to be stubborn with that. But also that comes from my own personal like vulnerability because I've learned to be stubborn with myself of like, mm. yes, I can give myself a million excuses mm. to not deal with this or to not go and figure out what skills or to not read that book. Yes, I'm busy. I can, I can give myself all the excuses in the world but if I can be stubborn with myself and I know what it feels like for me to hold myself to account and I know that it's possible, then I can be stubborn with you with you and be like, you know what, if you really want to support me, I can draw you a map. I can draw you a very clear map and I, I'll walk with you till we get to the thing and then we'll see if you can help me there. If you don't want to support me, even with me offering that very clear, s- me, I'm supporting you to support me. Mm. And you don't want to do that. It's okay. We don't have to spend time. But the key to that though would be to know what your strengths and what your weaknesses are, which is the key, or to 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 be realistic with where you are and, and I think know yourself. I think that's the assumption. The assumption is that you have to have the key first. A lot of us don't know where the door is. I think like all these metaphors, Jesus Christ. But a lot, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of us don't know what the door looks like for us to even know where it is. Mm. For us to even get to it, for us to know what the key, the shape of the key looks like, for us to then search ourselves to see if we have the key. And I think there's there's all this prep work when it comes to like really digging into yourself. There's all this prep work. Like you said, like no one tells us this stuff. Mm. Like even in relation to, to what um, Dimeji said earlier, the whole like growing up, I remember <laughs> my brother broke his leg. It was either his leg or his ankle in secondary school. And because of a previous experience with me in primary school, we're playing football. I went to kick the ball. Someone rolled the ball out of the way. I kicked the ground. I didn't feel it. I was just like, oh, what are you doing? This was first break. Did the rest of school, no pain. Got home, took my shoe off, whole sock covered in blood. Oh, I didn't remember it because I didn't feel it when it happened. Mm. So my mom comes in. Why are you bleeding? I don't know. I got in trouble. Oh. <laughs> 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 I took a, a few that lashings a, that's because a t- I didn't know why I was hurt. Why do we have to go through shit like that? <laughs> like, what the? No, that's like, mad, honestly, you know? I Like, why? I don't I don't understand. So That's, yeah, that's another episode. <laughs> 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 so a couple years later, my brother's in school now. He broke his leg. It was either his leg or his ankle. Like a break. Not, not a, a sprain or... Yeah. And he was so stressed about the response. The whole like... I have to be strong. I can't, like, I'm going to be in trouble for hurting myself. It's not going to come with understanding and care. Mm. This is toxic. He walked home. No way. With a broken leg. This is what I'm saying. This is so toxic. So the whole thing of, like, you you can't, there's there's a level of, there's an expectation that you shouldn't even hurt yourself, let alone hurt yourself and come home and tell me. Mm. So I, like, and then also doubled on, doubled on top of that of, like, the whole, the the influence of like a father figure whether or not they they teach you these skills or not i'm very fortunate and unfortunate in that early on it was obviously i wasn't taught these things but then there was a turning point where my dad had some experiences and through those experiences the lessons he learned and i guess i was very lucky that it was like the back end of my teenage years Mm. that we started to have conversations that were around opening up vulnerability Mm things like therapy, things like actually having conversations about what is your well-being like. Whereas growing up... You say in your teen years. 
the the back end. So literally, good, at least you, literally like a couple of months before I was twenty. Mm. That's mm. that's all, yeah. that's decent. It's a lot more than a lot of people. Yeah. My, mine only started yeah. when I finished long after I finished university, like in my. 26, I turned 26, 27. That's when I started having those conversations mm. with my father. And I, t- I tweet all the time that I'm very grateful for my dad because I think it's the m- he always had that mindset, but he didn't have the tools. So when he went through his stuff, that that experience gave him some of the tools. Right. But before then, it was literally like, you're going to, you went to football, you didn't score. Like, I don't have time for you. Or you've gone <laughs> to school, there's, there's a complaint, like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. There were, there were, the, some some of the things that he said to me in my childhood that I hold on to, and I'm lucky I've moved it away from a place of pain mm. to just like it's just an experience now. Yeah. But some of the things he said that you look back to him, you're just like, this person didn't even know who I was. It's, yeah. it's, it's, so, it's so crazy <laughs> that you remember all of this. You know, like this is how much we actually hold like what our parents yeah. say to us to, but, to our heart. But it's not even crazy, like, That's isn't how it? The brain like works. you remember, yeah. you remember the negative stuff in your life. Those are the stuff that stick, man. Sticks. Mm. Or it could be the opposite, you know, because um, before the age of, before the age of maybe like nine, I don't really remember much between the age of like, like, I think when you can realistically start remembering stuff, but like from like maybe when I was a toddler up until the age of like nine, ten, there's a complete block gap. I can't tell you what's, yeah. And I know things happened in that time through um like my mum and dad telling me experiences you know like me living away for long periods of time from my parents because they were working they could start so stay away for maybe a few days and they'd have to come and get me look so but i don't remember the time there I don't mm. even remember the actual situation but um but that those like that particular period in my life but i do know but i do have very specific moments that happened within that 10 year period and they're all negative mm very specific and at random ages you know like my school exclusion in year five was one of them a situation where my mum moved basically like when my parents were separated and like my mum moved to one part of London and I was living with my dad I remember that specifically I remember situations in the house while I'm living with my dad alone remember my first day of going to nursery which was a positive experience actually but like there's a massive gap and whenever I say it to my partner she's like you don't remember I said I no, bro, I'm the same. I think I f- like a part of me does feel like there's a block, and I would love to be able to like go into my own mind mm. to see to see yeah what is it that's missing or what was it that well I think I know what I think it must have just been a few things that my mind just kind of got used to maybe just saying okay uh, let's shut that off for a yeah. while maybe it's a defense mechanism but it's yeah. one that I don't feel like I'm in control with in control of it's a because I would like to it? know I don't remember yeah, are these moments where you're I could have I don't know that but I'm joking but that, you know, that, <laughs> I God could have memory lo- but you know but I, I there's a that, that particular period of time I could tell you everything from the first day of my new school in year 6 after I was, like, after I was kicked out like mm. I moved to a new school in East London that's how I moved to East I can remember the first I remember so many moments in that year secondary school lots of them you know but prior to that, the age of ten, I can't tell you, generally speaking, like what the overall experience through. was. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember everything. Really? Yeah. I think that's a bad thing, though. No, no I, I think that's, that's how the brain's. I've, I've got so many gaps from yeah. my life. Like my partner will ask me stuff, and I don't remember. I can't mm. think about it, mm. and it annoys me because I'm like, you want to know? Why yeah, I want to know. I want to remember some of the stuff. 
I mean, like, my life couldn't have been that bad that my brain's just gone, you know what, forget that, forget that, forget that. I know there's some good, mm. but it's so hard to dig through, man. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a thing around, it's, it's, a, it's a response to trauma. So it's a thing of your brain compartmentalizing things based on the skills you have or the support you have. So there are, there are things that right at this age you might remember and you might feel like it's actually not, it wasn't that intense, but at the time mm. for the child brain, mm. the whole world. yeah, the way it feels, the way the subjective like nature of it for where you were then, if your your the brain, the mind reacts by saying, we don't need to hold this or we don't know how to hold this right now, mm. but let's let go of it. Mm. And then you get to a point where it's like, you've let go of so many things, but where you start letting go and when you stop letting go, you don't have control over. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. you might for, you you might let go of a negative thing, but then it also eclipses over a positive thing, and now it's a whole gap. So there's there are interesting things of ha- mm. how the mind, but also I think there's an interesting thing about like how some women seem to remember so much more, and then some men seem to have so many gaps. Because you you guys mentioning that now. I felt like I remembered a lot, but thinking about it, <laughs> you remember I, re- <laughs> I remember moments. Like I remember, yeah, I remember fragments. Holding a, yeah, mm. holding a snake in year two. I remember night football academy. Like when I was younger, I remember after school club. I remember the teacher that that put me into football. But very j- specific I rem- moments. Yeah, I remember coming to school in football boots. <laughs> like, oh like, my days with, with blades. Mm. I remember these. I remember Primary the first. Fo- yeah, even infants. I remember yeah. the first. But there are so many things that, like the day to day things. But also, if you think about it in your adult life, there's so many days you don't remember as well. Of course. So true. I think it's a thing of that. Like when you're younger, these things are significant because the it's the first time for most of them. Mm. It's a significant number of times. But as an adult, you don't feel it as much because you've done something so many times mm. so yeah there's a lot of scaling to do but generally it's trauma like you there's there's a way the mind reacts to trauma when I, it's I too was, young to, to i was hold just about it. to start on that so do you guys remember you know all your traumatic experiences or do you feel like there's traumatic experiences that you've been through that you don't remember yeah 100 percent mm. um i think one of the i never really understood what happened but um so basically in primary school we had a six-week holiday and me and my family, we went to Nigeria holiday. Mm. That ended up being a year's stay. We ended up staying in Nigeria for a whole year. Wow. Went to school, the whole shebang. And I remember a lot of the days in the school were hell for me because I was the boy from London. Mm. I'm in Nigeria now. Ah, I'm on London. And they didn't give you the heads up before you went. You bro, just... no heads up. Yeah, that's no heads up. We we, we, we packed for six that weeks, is, bro. We packed for six weeks, bro. That is traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, I got my Air Max 95s, all of that stuff, all nice and clean. And all of a sudden, we're there for a year. Bro, we're there for a year. I didn't even come back with them trainers, bro. They, they, they took it out the trainers were gone. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. Bro, my whole time in that school was traumatic. I didn't have no friends. I can't remember how how long exactly I was in school for, but I remember having no friends. People took the piss out of me. I felt like an outcast I'm in my own country. But I'm, because I'm from London, mm. I'm a foreigner. I remember I'd get picked on by the teachers. I remember no. the first time I got beats, actually. I misspelled the word. And the teacher called me up in front of the whole class. I'm still, I'm still new. I'm still fresh. This is crazy. Got me to put my hands on the table. Got the bamboo stick out. Bah, bah, bah. I didn't even cry. I just went back. I just went and sat down. Just, you know what I mean? You just got, you just got, you just got to firm it, bruv. 
That's that's already compartmentalizing the trauma already. And this is this is like year two or year one. I remember that's one of the things I remember. And I remember um my mum I think my dad said that my mum said we need to come back to London because they could tell that they like being in school, being in Nigeria wasn't great for us. Me specifically. And I've I've never really asked why. What did they see? My mum never told me. But mm. my, my dad just said that your mum said you guys need to needed to come back because it wasn't mm. that grateful. But they actually that's, that's a conversation to have, you know. I know, parents. and I think I feel and like we explained it on a, one of the previous pods as well. But I think life you, is just. I yeah. think you went into then how when you came back, it was almost like a repeat. Yes, because you came back and then you moved to South End or to no, Essex. So I came back um, to Dagenham. And it was kind of the repeat, not as it, not as um, extreme as in Nigeria though. So I came back and I had a Nigerian accent. Didn't have no friends in, in school. I was an outcast. I remember sitting, um, so in year two or year three, I remember it was lunchtime and I just ran to a corner and I just cried. I cried the whole lunchtime. Wow. And one of the kids in my class came up to me and was like, just kind of consoled me and stuff. And when it came to being in class again, I think the teacher said something kind of like, get everyone involved with me being in the school and whatnot and I kind of felt more comfortable but I remember being alone for mm. quite a while mm. yeah. I just, my mum used to tell me I used to beat kids up because really? I was born in Nigeria so I came over yeah. for the first time in that, that year too yeah yeah and she was like people people would and I remember the first time in the after school club and I just said I said give me a fork but obviously I still had the accent so I was like oh. hey give me the fork <laughs> that that ran, bro. That ran for weeks, and I remember the first kid I beat up, but I don't remember anyone else. Like I don't remember any of. I just remember one fight. And she was like, "I had to take." That's why you didn't go to after school club for two months. Really? Because it was just that thing of like, I'm, I'm gonna, you're, you're hurting my feelings. So I'm gonna hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, you're gonna, gonna get punched we're, up. We're both gonna be hurt. Mm. We're both gonna be hurt. But I think, again, that's part of like. That's that was the African compartmentalization of like mm. who do you think you're talking to rather than understanding and also you're young like rather mm. than understanding the environment the tools I would I, I had been given yeah was to externalize my my pain which is like pride over anything really yeah especially like, with our culture yeah like who are you talking to even though I am pronouncing it wrong <laughs> for where I am right now yeah. <laughs> how dare you like, yeah. how dare? you know what I wish I could fight I was. I was skinny, I was short, I had no muscle on me, so I could never try and fight someone. I'd get flattened. Oh, no, it was all it was all heart. I was if I saw if, if I showed pictures I had no heart. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Show, in year two, pictures. ain't nobody got no muscles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ain't but I'm like if even even through to secondary school, like I was always the the shortest, the skinniest. Scrawny. One thing I did excel in was dissing people. That's one of the things that gave me a little bit of mm. but apart from that, nah man. Mm. I was the weakest link. I mean, oh wow! There's a thing around how like our social our yeah, social structures affect how we we deal with our health in terms of like how you view your body even, and then how you view your mind, and then how that's influenced by by social media. At first in school, it, your social media is is the the little groups mm. and the conversations, the rumors. That's that is what it first it like is, and then that manifests over mm. MSN or through Bebo like. It manifests yeah. online that way, but now it is is with the whole influencer culture thing. I've been kind of getting into like exercise a bit more, and 
a lot of people criticizing the influencer culture, how there are certain images portrayed, how people are targeted at, at younger age, especially men targeted at younger ages for like ad campaigns and certain things are pushed onto you that makes you feel like that you have to look a certain way to be able to stand up for yourself or you have to you have to think a certain way and if you don't fall into these categories there's a big effect on your mental state because how do you how do you deal with not being the guy when everyone is presented as the guy where does this come from? Let's be more like direct with where it comes from. Because I, f- I feel like I can say straight away where it comes from. People would argue with me and be like, no, I think it comes from music. I think it comes from the 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 creative leaders in you know the music industry that heavily inspire most black men. You know, um, a lot of the times we just look at it like, you know, oh, it's just music. But I think that's the biggest influence and we never address it. Yeah. You know? I'd- I think I would say media as a whole. Media think, as a whole. Yeah, because I think there's as over but, time. But, but but media as a whole for black men or for men. For men. But for black men. I think for black men. Would in, it be in the twentieth and twenty first century? I'll say yes, music. But the reason I say media as a whole because like if you go back, 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 back to like nineties, um, even before then, the eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. So the people who were presented as like the men to be like were scholars. So a lot of people would want to present themselves in those ways. A lot of people want to dress in those ways. So I think the media as a whole has already been influencing what we associate as, in our minds, as this is how a man should be. be. I should be like that. Even if I'm not like that, I should be like that. And I think as the, what, what we deem as, as the, desirable, the desirable form of media has changed, so it's not really scholars now. At one point, it was jazz musicians. So people didn't think about gym necessarily, but they thought about dressing like what they saw on the stage and now it's become rappers and then you have the the whole aesthetic of like every rapper has has like a swole chest and and a six pack and a, and a chain over the 90s or ha- is like a large guy or there are certain aesthetics so that's guided that's guiding it now and i think that yeah so it's it's just media as a whole i think but there's a again for me it comes back to the whole objective and subjective thing because objectively cool that can be the rule but subjectively like I we need to have an understanding of like for me, no matter how much I do in the gym, there's a way I'm never going to look like, mm-hmm. and I have to be okay with that. And if I'm okay with it, it's easier to resolve that. But if I don't understand that, it's always going to be distressing. Like working on things that you're told to work on that biologically you're never going to achieve, <laughs> like calves. <laughs> <laughs> like, I accepted that one early. Alright guys, wait, 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 hold up. So we looked at the analytics and apparently 25% of you who watch this podcast are not subscribed. Now that doesn't make sense because if you're watching this podcast then you clearly like it and you clearly want more. So the best way to get more is to subscribe. And guess what? Even do another thing, subscribe. Hit that little bell button and put the notifications on so when we post this exquisite content, right, you'll get it directly in your notifications. So subscribe right now. Thank you. That's like, it's like a focus on your mental... It is your mental strength in some ways, isn't it? You know, because because someone can tell you what you need to do to to physically be strong mm. and kind of give you like a formula for that. Like, but nobody tells you how to be able to deal with the idea that actually you're not going to have a six pack. Mm. You might have a four pack, but you're not going to have a six pack. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. Um, and actually, for my size, you know, for my height, that's all right. Furthermore, my wife has already said to me. I don't like men with six packs. I prefer them with a bit of, you know, so it's like kind mm. of like really honing into like what actually really matters, like mm. 
for you. Um, mm. and, and, and I think that is harder with social media. Because you're, you're being fed. Like constantly, so you it's in your constantly, face. You have to yeah. constantly like kind of do a wash cycle on your yeah. mind constantly. But even with the, the six pack, four pack thing, one thing that I've that was really interesting to me, some, some people are just biologically never going to have a six pack. Because it's not divided by how much you work. It's not determined by how much you work in the gym. It's literally how many ligaments you have separating your abdominal muscle. If you don't have enough ligaments to make it a six pack, it's not going to be a six pack. If you don't have enough to make it an eight pack, no matter how hard you work, no matter mm. how strong it gets, it will never divide into those shapes. Mm. So, but be, no, one's, no one says that loud enough. Mm. So you'll see everyone you see like, oh, this guy has an eight pack. If you don't have enough ligament divisions on your abdominal, like area you can live in the gym it will not happen so these guys on instagram selling uh, nutrition packs and ab workouts you're saying that they're basically just robbing everybody and we've known and we've known but there's too much pressure sometimes mm. to to like oh yeah we have to mm-hmm. this this is the objective truth but it's really not mm. when i say i don't feel that pressure it's mad like um, it does it doesn't connect with me mm. maybe i just gave up a long time ago because of the mm. way my health is set up but I've just never felt like I need to look a certain way. I do feel that pressure, but it's not related to my physical. I felt I, that I f- pressure. I feel yeah. that pressure, and I think I still do in, in relation to like my career. Mm. Okay, now, now this is another yeah. thing I was going to speak about. So not only just physical, because um, you just you just reminded me that a lot of guys are actually insecure about their weight. Not only just like, my body's not. I don't look like The Rock in the, mm. you know WWE mm. or John Cena, but like. Yeah, guys are insecure about their weight, and I'm just thinking about how that affects, you know, the mentality of most men. Like, and height. Do you know how many times I I, I see girls post something like, oh, you know, yeah. I don't, you know. Can you blame men for being insecure about their height? Luckily, I don't, I don't mess you know, with guys that are less than five foot ten, and you're there at five foot two talking about yo, people like as if you're, you know, like <laughs> the, the as if you're gonna get with a guy with it's cat. It's mental. It's, it's such a mess. It's but I feel sorry for the guys that take that really do uh, see that's that. That's why and I really it, like what what he said though, because there are pure. I actually see those posts where girls say like when they they're just dissing. <laughs> I've always thought it was <laughs> mad, I find it yeah, funny, though. that girls could just go online and just kind of like for no reason whatsoever unprovoked, unprovoked. like short men I'll give you an example. This. I'll give you an example. If you're less than five foot nine, di- like whatever. And you know what? I, I always felt bad in my heart. I always felt like, rah, there's going to be a five foot three guy reading that unprovoked. Obviously. And that's going to ruin his day. Yeah. Like, what do you deserve to wake up to see some random six like out of a, ten? A tweet like, um, good, good morning to all the men above six foot. Yeah, like for no reason. Like, why? <laughs> but, that's, but that's even that's even nice. That means they're waving shut up your waist back. Your bold ass head. <laughs> but that's even nice to wake up to. Because I could be like, I right, I'm not saying good morning to you either then, like whatever. Mm. But imagine waking up to be like no, these that ugly really ass men that think they can speak to me. It's just like the aggression that comes with something that at the end of the day is like it's unprovoked, but it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Mm. So that's where, like, when a guy's really trying to think about his subjective, like, you know, the tool that you just said, you know, does it really matter? Like, what, you know, like, what are my strengths? All those things. The reality of it is, is if the first thing you woke up to, and this is maybe your own regulation of your, your day and stuff, if the first thing you woke up to is Twitter or Instagram, and you're seeing external seeing influences yeah. that don't have to exist, which is why, for me, I take, like, breaks, or I have, like... For me, it's like I've got a thing where it's just like before a certain time, unless it's necessary, I'm not going to be on Twitter or after a certain time. Like I'm not going to be because I know the things that influence me. Mm. I know I could see something. And even if I don't believe it, 
it might trigger something in me. Mm. Oh, definitely. I can give you an ex- a prime example of one. So like during the summer, um, I was seeing a lot of women tweeting that, you know, um, it's embarrassing for a man to be on the 360 camera. Yeah, oh like, my shut days. up. You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, like, it got so quiet. I went to a few weddings <laughs> during the summer and I was like, I'm nah, not jumping yeah. on the 360 camera. <laughs> and that's an example of how, like, you know, the things people say on online... <laughs> Can really impact and influence your, the, the, what you do. Have you second guessing yourself? And, you know, I've, I've still not jumped on on the 360 camera. But I think about it now. I think to myself, how can I allow you know someone to just dictate that? But when you yeah. deep it though, if 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 all of this was cap, influencers wouldn't be getting paid millions. You know, facts. The things they say, what they do, yeah. what they present, whether it's true or not, mm. um, it works. There's way young people. It actually all does work. Yeah. You know, um, and and there were influences in different ways like you mentioned like in the 1800s like um there were influences you know you think about the people but like there was a period of time where you were judged on your intellect mm. you know so if you was a scholar you know particularly in the greek times you know there's there's periods where people like men in particular let's say are judged on their strength you know how much of a warrior you are then they will go through a phase where actually it's about how intellectual you are then it's about how much of a, of a leader you are in terms of how much you can conquer and mm. how many people you can kind of dominate in one way there's just cycles what is it now uh what is it now i don't think it's just one thing in particular i think it's it's divided in many ways you know um i think that uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't think being six foot ten is like a big enough thing that's going to affect men mm. worldwide. But it's a very small example of like actually. But there are going to be men every single day. I, I wonder what the number is of men that will wake up unprovoked to seeing a woman slagging them off because they just don't fit. I see it all the this time. This made up criteria of being. This is six why it's very important. Would, wouldn't you say it's clout now? That's not that's, clout. That's, oh, you mean that? No, no, I mean that, like that the thing that followers uh, on social yeah, media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that what's big right now? Yeah, like that's not an influence. Though. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say it's. Cla- I would say it's uh, more how much you can command attention. I think that's mm. what it is now. So mm. it can that can be in the form of clout. Oh uh, mm. yeah. But then, yeah. but across, I feel like across the board now, and I think this one isn't even just just men, but I think across the board, that's the thing that's that's separating people now the mm. most. It's like how much you can command attention. Yeah. And. I don't think that's a terrible thing, but I think there's a thing within that of like understanding cool. That's the that's the game now. What do you want to command attention for? Mm. I think that's the work now of like, okay, if you want to be conscious about this whole thing, what am I why are people paying me attention? What am I putting out there to, to grab that attention? What am I willing what extent am I willing to go to for this attention? Because mm. I feel like I feel like that's the that's the thing. That that's the that's why TikTok is, is the attention is currency. Yeah. That's why reels are, are blowing off. That's why it's it's currency. Yeah. Attention is currency. So yeah. I think yeah. I've but this again, this is just my my perspective. Like I feel like uh, literally now attention is currency. Mm. And I realized it's like a year ago. Like attention is what drives the market now. Any market you want to talk mm. talk about, if a brand has enough attention, it's going to grow, even if it's not a good brand. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's, it's not quality anymore it's not even like the bravado of like the leader any of the brand anymore but it's how much attention the engagement person, yeah mm-hmm. so i think i think that's like that's the that's the playing field now and then the question is just like what are you commanding attention for what's the what is the value you're bringing to the table or how valuable is what you're bringing to the table mm. or like are you selling sweets or are you selling healthy food are you selling poison mm. or are you selling enlightenment like what are you selling and a lot of people like it's unfortunate to say but 
poison or junk food mm. is more accessible. Of course. It requires less work. So a lot of people are engaging in that more. A lot of people are making a lot of money by mm-hmm. selling that more. Mm. It's like fast food, isn't it? Just yeah. get it while you can. It's mm. quick thing. And I think that's a that's mass a thing, production. That's a thing for substance. men to think about. Of like, there are a lot of because that's the that's the climate. There are a lot of things that is, it's just junk food, and people people require request you to to give it to them. It's like we want these things, these junk food things, and there's a question on your manhood if you are not engaging in that supply and demand of of these junk food things that can and then that can result in like the how you treat your mental health, what you count as as important, how you view your physicality. If he, if like the whole thing about like men having like weight issues, it's what like <laughs> I, d- I feel like I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I I deal with I don't think I suffer with it, but I deal with body dysmorphia. Same and it's a it's a just quickly issue. run through what body dysmorphia is. So in the way that it's been explained to me is that my my internal perception of my body or yeah. what it looks like isn't aligned with the reality of my, of what my it looks body. Like. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there are times where I'll look in the mirror and I'll think I'm looking malnourished. I need to go and eat. And there's times that I'll look in the mirror and I'll think I've gained so much weight. I need to go and run. Mm. And it's for me, it took a long time for me. Like even till this day, it's still the same. But my thing was there are people around me that I trust. And if they're saying everything's okay, then I don't necessarily need to just make that decision based on what I see. Sometimes I can defer that just trusting what mm. you're yeah, around to you what say. they're saying and just yeah. hold that even if they say i'm okay and i look in the mirror and i'm just like i don't i don't see it but also there's no reason for them to lie to me so no, let me just right. hold that space and it comes and goes so there mm. are times where i'll look in the mirror or i'll post a picture and the reason i every time i post a picture is because i've looked in the mirror and i see something i feel like okay this matches what i've been told i look like i'm going to post this picture i'm going to save this picture i keep those pictures so whenever i'm in like a deep hole I can look back at them and be like, okay, cool. These are times mm. that were in between that that seesaw that I can hold on to and be like, I was wrong then. Maybe I'm wrong today, and then get on with the day. But I think that again is a mental thing of you're growing up and there's like there's an aesthetic. I was trying to have a six pack in like year nine, right? And I remember <coughs> I used to do. <laughs> this is wild. When I think back at it, there was absolutely no need. I used to do a minimum of like a hundred and twenty sit-ups every night every single night for that whole year of year nine because i had it in my head like men are meant to look head like i'm playing football all the footballers Mm. are are slim like this every time i see someone is like oh this is a man they have a six-pack i'm supposed to have a six-pack i used to swim and they had a gym on top of the on the top floor and i would sneak in there because i was too young to go to the gym i would sneak in there Ended like I have a lifelong injury now that I manage because I was doing back workouts in year nine that I didn't know what I was doing. I just saw it and said, Mm. Oh, yeah, let me pull this one, let me push this one. But all of that comes from that mental state of, Oh, I'm supposed to look like this. This is what I'm supposed to be at year nine. Like, there Mm. is no supposed to be in year nine. Like, you're you're nowhere near developed enough Mm. for you to start making those changes, especially by yourself with no guidance. It's just been put in your head from what you mm. consume and things like that. And I think that ties into the whole, the, the weight issue thing of like, there's a, there's this expectation that kind of seeps into you through media and then it's reiterated through people's, other people being influenced by media and then using that to influence you. Mm. And there's that, in my head, there's that question of like, how do you, objective and subjective, how do you separate yourself? I, I think I'm very lucky. 
I, I don't know what happened, but I was able to separate myself from the objective, focus on my subjective and be like, actually, body dysmorphia actually helped because when you're working really hard and you don't see any, any, eventually you're just like, Ugh. forget this. Yeah. To like, I don't, like, I don't know if any of this stuff is working. I'm still stressing about whether it's working or not, but that creates a separation where you, you have to think about things a bit differently. You have mm. to talk to people. Whereas for anyone else who doesn't have that, that's just in that loop. Like there's a there's a thing around separating yourself, like breaking that cycle mm. and giving yourself a chance to think like a good body is a body that works. Full mm, stop. That's like, it. Mm. A good body is a body that functions in the way it's designed to function. Yeah. Everything else is just added on. Everything else is just it's like added benefits, but the main benefit is there. So all this extra stuff, like if someone is making you feel a certain type of way about what you look like, your physique, your body weight. Some men will try that, like amongst each other. Some men will try and make you feel like, you know, because, you know, you're not getting gym and working out and look at me, macho, mm. you know, this is how you're supposed to be. It's not just men as well. Sometimes that can even yeah. come from like cultural expectations. Yeah. Like I remember growing up, I think this contributed to like my body dysmorphia in my early 20s. Um, no matter what I did, I'd come home and my mum would be like, you've lost weight. Why are you so skinny? But she said the same thing like a few days ago. Like mm. you get like she had her own issue. Mm. Like, I don't know what that was about her son looking skinnier than whatever but like she ain't been feeding you she didn't want you yeah like she didn't want you going always, out thinking, and if yeah. i went to uni and people i came think, back don't let home, people think i'm not feeding you yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but this was even when i had left home so like i'd always i feel like after what i started to think is this just like your introductory line to like say hello like showing love maybe like but she and, and it, it, it did contribute because i have that in my head like she'd even say a term like you know in 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 Yoruba, that mm. I'm not even going to repeat because it's offensive mm. to the people she was making reference to. Mm. But it's kind of like saying, you know, like what's happened to you? Like, are you like, and I and and I think, <sighs> I don't think she was doing it to make me feel a certain way, but she was depositing a sense of like, okay, well, something's not right with me. Which is why, like, in my early twenties, I was obsessed with going to the gym and not looking skinny. Mm. Like, and I think in the same episode where you mentioned body dysmorphia, I think I kind of like, you know, um, I mentioned how I struggled with that as well. You know, even now, I don't think I'd struggle with it. Like you said, I think I'm I'm dealing with that and appreciating, again, the subjective. I appreciate my physique. My genetics play a massive part in it. Like, you know, the same blood brother, like my brother, same blood, same both parents. He will always have thicker thighs. Mm. Then I, you get his chest will always be hairier than mine. There is not much we can do. Our body is our body. Our physique yeah. is our physique. And I think for me, I, I'm at a point now where I can appreciate that. Even now, if I don't go to gym for a few weeks or whatever, I'm like, it is what it is. Like, I'll get back to it. And for my mental state, that helps. Whereas there was a, a time where if I didn't go, if I didn't squeeze in half an hour in between trying to get ready to go to Westfield or something, you know, like unrealistic attempts to get in the gym for a couple of minutes because I'm trying to prove to myself that actually I can look better than being skinny or what other people mm. have told me. So, um, yeah, no, that, that body dysmorphia thing is... is Very real. Yeah, yeah. I, I hold my hand up and I'll say, like, I deal with body dysmorphia, body dysmorphia mm. myself, and I struggle to say it too. Um, but from a young age, I was always called skinny. I remember situations my brothers would call me anorexic and that really got to me, man. Like it, 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 it was damaging. In school, I'd be called skinny as well. Remember, I said I was always the smallest, mm. shortest, and all of like that. Um, 
So I remember when I could start, as soon as I could start going gym, I was banging it out. I was on every protein shake, creatine, glutamine, any any type of eans, all of that stuff. Um, I'd go gym twice a day. I'd eat microwave meals. I'd try and just eat as much as I could. I'd look at Ronnie Coleman, all of these bodybuilders, and just try and mm. be them. And yeah, it was always, I was always chasing, always chasing. I remember seeing Temper T. Temper T was one of my inspirations, actually. Because I remember back in the day, I used to rock the, the high top. And people used to be like, oh, yeah, you, you well look like Temper T. Oh, yeah, you should get the box top like him and all that stuff. And I got a bit gassed and I tried just feel like following him, doing all the muscle-ups and all that stuff. Um, then when it came to uni, like, I'd, I wouldn't even go lectures, man. I'd just go gym. Mm -hmm. Like, that was my happy place. It wasn't, I wasn't doing it for anyone else. I was just doing it for myself. I'd go gym, be happy, then maybe check the lecture. Like, but I'd be in a gym, be surrounded by people who like um, with the same goals. Everyone just wants to look good. Yeah. What chill are you out. Like, what are you like now? Now, um, now it's a lot harder because of life. You know, work, family, all that stuff. I don't really get to spend as much time in the gym as I'd like. And when I don't go gym, it really bugs me. Mm. Like. Even now, I haven't been in gym properly in a while. I've lost a lot of weight. It bugs me. Mm. No lie. I look at myself in the mirror. I look at the pictures on my phone. I'll be like, damn. Like, I used to be, I used to be something else. Like, Dami would tell me, look, bro, like, back in the day, you was on another level, but I couldn't really see it. Mm. Back when I was at my biggest, I still looked, I still felt small. There was always more room. I wanted bigger shoulders, bigger quads. Bigger calves, obviously. <laughs> but it was never enough, man. It's never enough. It's never enough. And I think you know I mean? when it's kind of stopped when... It kind of stopped when I I took acting more seriously. Because then I was like, you know what? It shouldn't be about the way I look. It should be about what I present, like what I can offer. So... Um, Subjective. Yeah, like I started focusing on myself. Like, yeah. what do I want for myself? Like, is it, am I really doing it for myself? Or does, like, I was putting in hours in the gym. Like, my, my girl would be like, you look fine. You don't need to be any bigger. But I want to be bigger. I want to look, I want to be a man. I want to look good. But, like, it's for nothing. But so, so when I started accepting myself and, you know, doing it for myself and um, figuring out how I was going to help me in my career, my life, and my day-to-day, -day, then I take it easy a little bit, but... It's still there. Like I feel skinny, man. I want to be big. There's a, there's a lot of um, pressure on um, just human beings in general, like yeah. men and women. You know, we can only speak about our own experiences. But even after all that work with that like, putting in work on your image, there's this um, sound that's like kind of gone viral on TikTok at the moment, and it goes along the lines of um, "fine boy, mm. empty pockets." <laughs> you know. <laughs> Fine boy, <laughs> no money. Do you understand? <laughs> and it's like, okay, like so. Even after all the work of like looking fine, <laughs> you still gotta get money. <laughs> you broke, um, it's true. You still gotta get money. Do you understand? So it's like all these pressures. It's like, yo, why are we just so hard on ourselves, yeah. man? Yeah. But like, yeah, bond that though, man, because it shouldn't be about just getting money. I believe it's about doing what makes you feel happy and safe, man. That's what like, it's bond about. All of that. And one thing I want to say as well. A lot of people do this and they don't realise how detrimental it is to people mm. is just going up to someone being like, oh, you look like you've lost weight. Mm. I really hate that because you wouldn't go to someone who in your eyes is obese and be like, oh, you've put on weight, you're fat. You wouldn't do it. I think it's equally as bad to say to someone who you so think is true. skinny, 
why oh you look anorexic you look like you're losing weight what's going on you look ill like it's so heartless it's so inconsiderate nigerian aunties are the best at that. <laughs> oh yeah they're the best at that <laughs> but like f- from experience because i know how much it's damaged me mm. if you do it like you, you should never say it Mm, you should yeah. never comment on someone's appearance. Full stop. No, seriously. Yeah. Like, like, who are you to to make a comment on someone on the way someone looks? Oh, do you know like, what's funny? It's funny that you said that because you just reminded me. One time I went um, on holiday to Morocco with my boys um, as soon as I finished university, and um, a girl came up to me and she was like, "Like, you know, you're a big man. Like, why don't you go gym? Like, you you should work out." And I was thinking in my head, "You have no idea." What, who, who I am, if, where I come you? from. If I if, told you to get on the treadmill, it's a different thing. Now. Yeah. Listen, no, but she, <laughs> the, no, but the, the woman actually had a, she had a great body, like she works out and whatnot, but she was getting on to me like, right, you should and go gym. So? Thinking, do you know I've got sickle cell? Mm. You understand? The yeah, and that's another thing. You like, don't know you what people are going it, through, you can't man. Make assumptions and just, how can you just get onto someone and be like, right, you should go gym, you know? And it takes for me to reveal that. No, I've got sickle cell. Like, not to say that I can't go gym. Yeah, I've got sickle cell, but it's like it's complicated. Like, it's not as easy as just attend the gym. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. I agree with you. Like, yeah. just you know, com- commenting on someone's appearance. Like, I feel so like, passionately about it mm. because, especially, it's kids. Kids can be so cruel, and they don't know how much effect their little comments, yeah, um, can have. Like people grow up with this stuff and it affects them in different ways. It grows, it manifests into mm. like fucked up it can, shit, it can man. Stay with you f- yeah. for a lifetime. You know, you can. Do you know why I'm laughing? Yeah, because you just re- reminded me of something about when children say stuff and it sticks with you. Mm. I remember being in primary school, yeah, and um, and I think I just finished playing football at break time, and uh, I'm, that's why I know that your brain is funny because you remember specific you remember? moments. <laughs> <laughs> either for the negative or for the positive and I remember this, I remember her name I know she looked like everything I remember she walked up to me and these girls in my year group were going around and like lifting up that boy's trousers like mm. I didn't know at the time but like I just remember like they came up to me it's like oh like stand there for a second and like she lifted up my trousers and like bro I, I didn't cream my legs in it like but I didn't know I <laughs> Before that day, yeah, I didn't know I needed to. Yo, the way yeah. they, the way oh they embarrassed me. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Oh I find it. I find it. I I yeah, I've never left my house yet yeah, since that day oh without creaming my legs. It traumatized me. You know what? I was thinking to myself. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to collapse on the train today <laughs> and they need to rip open my trousers to get to my leg. And if they see my dry socks, I'd rather you just finish me there. That's my mindset ever since that day. Oh, oh my it's gosh. It's crazy. That Actually, like, Larry. I, f- I find it God so funny that you damn. said that you, before that day, you didn't know that you had to go. I did not know. I didn't even know it was important. Like, who goes around creaming their legs anyway? After that day, never Ain't it again. mad how we was raped? Like, you know that was it. I used to think like that as well. Same, I would tell stories. Like, I didn't, I didn't cream my feet until, <laughs> until, like, yes, 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 seven. Yes, five, yes, six. Then I was this like, was I'm like, right, you have to cream your feet. Yeah, oh, like, my days. This was year six. I was 10, 11. Never before that had anyone said to me, yo, make sure you leave this house today and you cream your legs. That, I never made that mistake yeah, again. I was never told that by our parents. You know? yeah. But listen, guys, I feel like we could have gone on for another hour or two. Yeah, we definitely easily. need a second episode, uh, a part two of some sort of this. But again, I want to thank you. You've had Goodman Rizzy today. You've had Goodman Quest. You've also had Goodman Demeji. 
Um, thank you once again for listening. It's been a while. Uh, we're back. We're back for good. Looking forward to uh, 2022. But in the meantime, we're saying peace out. Thank you. Bless. Thanks for listening. <laughs>